Daddy-O Daddy-O Barbecue in Boise, Idaho, and I've got it locked on the 50,000 gigawatt blowtorch of the internet that is Barbecue Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you want? <laughs> You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet for wiener. Oh, listen, Lavernius, shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. This is the Barbecue Central Show. We talk about really cool barbecue and grilling stuff. Text message from Matt Pittman, listening to your show, and I just shipped you some of my new honey bacon barbecue rub. I sold over 5,000 bottles the first five days. Insanity. Wow, Pittman coming through. Like that, Meat Church. I do bow to the Church of Meat Church, right? Just Pryles coming up in a few minutes, and I don't usually do the top of the hour interviews here, but I will change it up tonight. And let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome back. Marketing sales for B&B Charcoal, Joey Machado. Joey, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Joey. Appreciate you making time for the show here this evening. Uh, so I guess let's go ahead and potentially, I want to put words in your mouth, but uh, potentially break some news here. So let me give you the proper uh, introduction. A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. Or maybe exclusive to me, if everybody else does. But uh, what's going on with anything that has to do with Texas IBCA? Well, I tell you what, we've had a lot of really exciting things going on this year, and uh, one of the big things that we wanted to announce is uh, we are going to be the official charcoal of the IBCA group of International Barbecue Association, and um, and they've been a really good group for us. That's where I got my cooking start, mm-hmm. and uh, I love all that group to death. Wow. and uh, It's a big deal. Earlier this, Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, earlier this year, we announced uh, that we became the official charcoal of the SCA. And uh, so that's very exciting because that's we started doing a lot of SCA this year. Um, it, my son and I, you know, w- we love to cook SCA. and uh, But, of course, that's the only one we have time to do anymore. I don't have a lot of time to do uh, full-on IBCA cooks anymore. So, uh, but uh, that's, like I said, we're looking forward to a great year with both of those organizations. Joe, you're, I mean, you're instrumental in putting these partnerships together to a certain degree. So when you are in the talks here, and I'm certainly not looking for anything specific, but like, what's kind of required from a partner on the other side to get into a partnership with B&B? What are the wins from your side that need to transpire? Really and truly, uh, because we have, you know, prior to me jumping on there, we, we weren't a, a we, we weren't an enthusiast company. You know, when I jumped on board, I had a lot of affiliations that I was kind of already kind of tied into just because of me actually competition cooking. Um, so there was a lot of groups that, 
I brought in that I had faith in, that I knew were good groups. Uh, I liked the direction they were going and what they promoted. And that's kind of what we've done. Uh, we also have some branding partners that we've worked with as well. And it's funny that you had just mentioned M-Grills. Uh, M-Grills is actually uh, one of our new branding partners that we're going to be doing stuff with. So for our team, B&B, uh, that's we're going to be promoting M-Grill products. So uh, my son and I actually have, we qualified for SCA Fort Worth. Uh, for the finals, and we also qualified for Wolf Food uh, down in Ocean Springs, and that's what we're going to be cooking on is M-Grills down there. So we're really, really excited about doing that. What model M-Grill are you going to be using? Um, we are going to be using M-16 in the steak cook-offs. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say and, you uh, and your son qualified, when you say you and your son qualified, did you, Joey, qualify, and then Ty also qualified, or did Ty qualify and you have to go with me, Joey, qualified on paper, and Ty qualified with his with his skills. Uh-huh. So he's Got he's it. actually he's the cook there, and you were the, you were actually there. You were there in, in Fort Worth with us. Yeah. And uh, and like I said, I mean he's he's been a uh, a little force to be reckoned with for a few years now, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he found this state competition. That was actually his first one is that weekend, hmm. and uh, he's just fallen in love with it. Uh, you know. Basically, because it's quick, it's fast, and um, and like I said, and, and he's been very successful. Uh, from a uh, the, the brand partnering, is there also and I do uh, Southside Market and Barbecue as a partner here on this show, and they offer Correct. private labeling, so you can buy their uh, sausage slammer or their beef sausage that you know proven products that are selling very well, and I could put barbecue central beef sausage on there they make it it's a private label and uh, i can sell it as my own everybody wins right does b&b have an an option where i could make a a barbecue central show charcoal as well and and put it out there if i wanted to oh yeah definitely Hmm. we we actually do a lot of private labeling a lot of people would be kind of surprised there's there's a lot of products out there available uh, that don't specifically have our name on it you know we've done stuff with uh, with grocery chains and some other, you know, other companies like that. Uh, but again, like I said, we, at the end of the day, whether you're buying B&B or you're buying these other branded products, you know, what we're concerned about is, is quality of product. That's why I kind of, you know, joined this group uh, because they actually were my sponsor uh, when I was competition cooking. And uh, luckily we just kind of developed a friendship and I wound up doing what I'm doing now. Uh, but again, it's it's one of those things, and I've always felt the same way. As long as you have a great product and, and great ethics in what you're doing, um, you know. And and I think about the cooks a lot. Um, you know, if I think it's a good thing for us, we'll go ahead and move forward with it and try to create those partnerships because we do want partnerships. Uh, it's got to be, you know, good for both of us on both sides. B&B now partnering, as he had uh, mentioned a little earlier, the SCA, and uh, now announced here on this show that they're going to be partners with the IBCA or the International Barbecue Cookers Association. So two big pickups there for B&B Charcoal. Uh, what are the the yep. next most uh, the next mo- what are the uh, the next soonest events that you're going to be competing at, Joey? Well, I tell you what, the uh, the ones that we're going to be competing in are really going to be the SCA events, which are going to be the uh the fort worth and also the uh world food you know we'll be competing in those two 
Um, the events that we're going to be at coming up is, you know, we'll be at the Royal. We'll be at Q and the Lou in St. Louis. Mm. Um, we've got a, we've actually got a cook-off that we're involved in in Lockhart, Texas, barbecue capital of Texas in October 12th and 13th. Nice. Uh, we actually have a, it's a big cook-off we do there. We'll have an IBCA and we'll have an SCA cook there. Uh, we're bringing in some, um, we're bringing in some celebrities in there. We're going to have some, some meet the masters type deal. You'll start seeing a little bit of that stuff kind of rolling out probably within, in the month. So you'll start to see that again. That's October 12th and 13th in Lockhart. I think currently, normally we have about 150 to 170 cooks out there. Um, it just, it's a great event, you know, but like I said, it, it's really a, it's been a Texas event this year. We do have a lot of folks coming in, uh, from out of town. Um, you know, we'll be at the Jack. We've got a lot of great teams there. A lot of our brand ambassadors are going to be there. I, I got to give a little shout out to, uh, you know, we've got one of our brand ambassadors is, is boomerang barbecue, Matt and Sarah Walker. Yeah. They've had a phenomenal last couple of years. Um, you know, I had a conversation with them just earlier today and, you know, it's all of my said. I still remember the Matt Walker just three years ago who, you know, <laughs> we were on the phone like girls, you know, every other night because he was just trying to figure out how to cook. Not that I gave him all the answers, that's for sure, but this guy has just dedicated himself to this sport and, you know, he's mastered it, you know, and uh, very, very proud of him and very glad that we're going to get to go support him at the Jack this year and the Royal. So sales and marketing guru for B&B Charcoal. It's uh, Joey Machado spending a couple minutes with us. Joey, appreciate the time tonight. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. You got Thanks it. for having me. There he is. Joey Machado. I mean, my man is all over the place as well. So if you're out there looking at some type of a barbecue or grilling event and B&B is there, you can pretty much guarantee Joey is somewhere around there running it up. I uh, did want to mention this, top of the second hour here. Uh, embedded correspondent Steve Ray, Uldawa, Tennessee. The Beast Feast took place this past weekend. The barbecue contest in Chattanooga. And a former guest here on this show, Lamar Young, was uh, the People's Choice winner, believe it or not. Uh, on uh, There was a picture that I can't show you right now because I don't have the ability to do that. But Lamar's partner, David Bacon, also... The greatest barbecue name since uh, Matt Pittman and Meat Church, uh, David Bacon. Uh, Matt Pittman. Get it? I get it. Good job, Steve. Appreciate that. He also, uh, Lamar, by the way, if you're trying to figure out who he was recently, he reviewed the Tuffy Stone Barbecue School, and he wins the People's Choice Award this past Sunday at the Beast Feast Barbecue Contest. By the way, Steve, that's a great name for a contest, the Beast Feast. <laughs> I like the Beast Feast. Jess Pryles coming up out of the break. Hey, behind every great meal is a great grill, not just any grill, a Traeger grill. And the Timberline is Traeger's most advanced grill yet. It allows you to grill, smoke, bake, roast, braise, and barbecue like a pro, no matter what your level, thanks to the incredible wood fire taste. Seriously, you don't know flavor till you're cooking with it. Traeger grills use all-natural hardwood pellets as fuel. So you're literally cooking with flavor, from low and slow smoked ribs to a seared steak, even a baked apple pie. Traegers can handle it all, and the Traeger Timberline makes it even easier thanks to the Wi-Fi capability. You can check on cooks, kick up the temperature, set custom cook cycles anywhere, anytime, all right from the Traeger app on your phone. If I had one 
grilling right now, like a pork butt or a brisket, I'd go check on it right now. I could find one at your local Traeger dealer or check them out online at TraegerGrills.com. Want to beef up that barbecue game of yours? Sure you do. Traeger Shop Class going coast to coast, bringing barbecue knowledge and amazing wood-fired food everywhere they go. Taught by professional pitmasters, you'll take home all the skills you need to reach barbecue glory. Find a shop class near you. Sign up today, TraegerGrills.com slash shop class. That's TraegerGrills.com slash shop class. I myself used the Traeger Timberline 850 this past weekend and used the Matt Pittman 195 degrees for 14-hour brisket fat side up. And then bumped it up to finish. That brisket took a little longer than normal. It was not willing to give up the ghost, I can tell you that. About 16 hours, 17, 18 hours, I think, ended up being it. Held for a couple hours. Point was great. Point was great. Loved it. All right. TraegerGrills.com is the place to go for a look at all of their Pro and Timberline models. And we have Jess Priles coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue a man actually named meathead the author of a barbecue bible bloggers reviewers competitors and manufacturers by the dozens it's the barbecue central show once again here's your host greg rempe hey smoking with smithfield committed cooks make sure you head to smokingwithsmithfield.com and report your first place wins to claim your prizes have you registered to compete in the American Royal Pork Loin Ancillary? Smithfield just increased the prize purse to six grand. Make sure you sign up at the American Royal site today. Don't forget to sign up for the Smithfield Classic, which will be in Richmond, Virginia on September 29th. 25 days from now to sign up. Reach out to Jesse with Big Papa Smokers at Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, at Big Papa Smokers. Com. Thanks to the smoke uh, for good folks at Smithfield. My first guest in the second hour is, well, I guess second guest this, at this point. But uh, in the second hour, a brand ambassador, food blogger, and author appears on TVs and, of course, is a professional hardcore carnivore. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome back friend of the show, Jess Priles. Jess, how are you? How are you? Doing great. Let's try again. Did I hit the wrong one? J E. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's got to be it, right? Stand by. It's so it's like the worst. Oh, so annoying. The worst. Hello. Jess. Hello. Greg Rampy. Good evening. 
I'm so excited that I'm actually on the phone to you. <laughs> uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you? Uh, firm 11. A firm full 11. Final tap 11. We've ripped yeah. the knob off this mother. We're going right to 11. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, I appreciate you yeah. uh, making time for the show as always. So lots of things that I want to talk to. Uh, to you about but i guess first let's cover the business stuff and then we'll go off the cuff after that you have a line of uh three rubs right now hardcore carnivore black hardcore carnivore red and then amplify so high level mm-hmm. how's the rub business going for you right now pretty pretty good yeah. can't complain i've got a lot this year to kind of expand the brand we've got like brisket carving knives and this steak fork that we're bringing in from brazil that's a design that i've never seen anywhere else before and some really cool merch and other bits and pieces and it's really grown into a a cohesive kind of you know brand for carnivores that if you're into meat and meat cookery and barbecue and grilling and all that good stuff um everything on our website should be relevant to your interests. but of course everything is built off the back of flavor which which is the rubs we've had separate conversations with both the black and the red rub, but I don't think we've actually talked about Amplify before. I think we had pitched or we had kind of teased it a little bit at MBBQA, but I don't know if it had been out at that point or was just coming out or whatever, but let's circle back to that just a little bit, talk a little bit about Amplify and, and what it does for food. You bet. Um, Amplify is really different, and people freak out because they want to be told exactly what to do with rubs. So, like, this is for brisket, <laughs> this is for chicken, and I like my rubs to be, you know, this is what I recommend it for, but you guys knock yourselves out. And Amplify kind of really, really confuse people because it's so different. So it's a, it's a finishing dust that I call savory boosting powder, but it's all natural. So it's got no MSG in it, which, by the way, you know, I know you love controversy and when I go on my rants. Because yes. you have this amazing ability to, like, find whenever, whichever social media <laughs> platform I've been ranting on. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with MSG. Yes, it's naturally occurring, but when you refine it, put it, turn it into a white powder, I think in most cases most people don't use it judiciously. So that's why I leave it out of my stuff personally. Um, but it amplifies made with chicken fat powder. So it's this incredible, mm. neutral, savory flavor. And I've really enjoyed seeing the different ways that people use it. So I've got some people that just use it at table side, like straight onto veggies or what have you. Got people who add it to guacamole, deviled eggs, things of that nature. Um, I add them to ribs when I wrap them in foil with my butter and brown sugar. I do some amplifying with that. Um, just anything that needs a little neutral savory hit or boost um uh is, is what it's good for really would you put it on beef like steak yeah 100 percent. i mean i've got i've got comp guys who dilute it and use it in a brisket injection mm-hmm. because as i said it's just that neutral savory thing you if you have an existing rub that you love you can combine that with it too um i i personally wouldn't use it on steak you could and it wouldn't be out of out of sorts but um I don't think that a steak needs any kind of help being any more umami, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Um, now, I was looking at the website as well, and uh, maybe I'm off base here, but it looked like there might have been some kind of a, a refresh or an update as far as the, the website landscape is concerned. Yeah, so we did a whole rebranding. We we redid the logo. We redid the website because it's... You know, for those of you, for for your listeners who have kind of listened since the beginning, this was a, 
a, a labor of love for me where I just brought out that first rub thinking, hmm, maybe someone will like it. You know, it, it was never strategic. It was never, I'm going to build this business. And the, the old website was kind of commensurate with that. It was like, yeah, you know, cheap kind of Shopify deal, see what happens. And then you turn around one day and realize that you've got fans of this product all over the world and you, you, you're kind of asserting yourself as a serious brand. And it's time to, it's time to you know, graduate to the big leagues. So we did a big site refresh and I'm thrilled with how it looks. And like I said, I'm just, I'm really serious about this being the way that I can share you know, my love for certain flavors, certain rubs, certain merch, like cool gear, cool accessories with people. Um, so that's how I, uh, that's how I choose to do it. When you're doing shirts specifically, cause I did a run of barbecue central show shirts and had them at the NBBQA. Horse meat. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, These yeah. were like the barbecue central show show shirts. I oh, did, you did you know, horse meat, okay. of course, I gotcha. you know, to separate yeah, things. Obviously. And you know, I mean, I'm like, there's no money to be made in shirts if they're just going to be pretty generic barbecue central show shirts but then you seem to put a little bit more thought and effort into how's it going to translate how is somebody going to read it our eyeballs going to go right to this uh, the verbiage the way it looks the logos all this stuff uh, do you look at it as a money making endeavor of like anything that you're going to put up there it has to be making money first or is there also some promotional aspect that you're okay with if it's not making a huge return i mean it's somewhere in between that i mean this is a business for me um i pour all of this in because this is how i make my living having said that i i hold myself to extremely high standards about what goes on there um and, and what i put my name on so one of the cool things is, you know, hardcore carnivore is just a cool thing. Whether you know it's a brand or whether you know it's a rub or whatever, it's just kind of a cool T-shirt to have. So we're kind of lucky in that respect, you know. Um, but, yeah, I try and make it so that the logos or the branding or whatever is something that people would want to wear because it just looks super cool. Um you know, it's not like I've got like a lumber store that's like, buy my T-shirt that's got my lumber store on it. You know, that's kind of random for people to do unless they really, really like lumber, you know. So I think all of that comes into play. And um, in the beginning, when I didn't even have Hardcore Carnivore, it was just me. Uh, we were I was trying to come up with really cool designs. Like you can see Meat Fire Whiskey Repeat or Steak and Bourbon A Complete Meal because it was just like, hey, I, I want a cool design for people to wear that represents what I'm about. So it, it really, it's always been about I'm only going to, you know, put really cool stuff in the store. But, yes, it's it's a business. Jess Pryles joining me here on the show, JessPryles.com, uh, on the Twitter and Instagram at Jess Pryles, HardcoreCarnivore.com as well if you want to check it out here while we're talking. Uh, Jess, I've had mm -hmm. a few recurring themes on the show the past month or so and wanted to see – uh, what your thoughts would be on some of them. First one actually was inspired by you, which I think was an Instagram story. This is going back a little ways now, but uh, we <laughs> haven't talked about it, so I wanted to bring it up. And that's the butcher box that I saw. And uh, I don't know if bullying was the right term or uh, people that are supporting <laughs> are doing damage to the industry or something along the I think I'm pretty much right on par with that, but I wanted to get your take here since I have you on the show about butcher box and what you think it's doing. Yeah, I mean, ButcherBox is one of them. A friend of mine who's in the industry forwarded me a, a message, a, a, a newsletter from CrowdCow today, too, that says, like, 
you know, something like, oh, 97% of beef in the grocery store comes from concentrated feedlots. Yeah, we don't work with those guys. Like, that kind of, there's this thing that's happening in direct-to-consumer boxes now and direct-to-consumer beef where marketing firms, make it, let me make this clear, not agricultural firms and marketing firms like Shark Tank stuff see the idea to connect meat direct to consumers mm-hmm. through these box systems, whether it be the meal plans or whatever it is, and then they come up with a strategy around that, and it's fear-mongering, right? Which is the fear, where does your meat come from? What actually is it? What's in a feedlot? Every cow in America, every cow in America is at one stage grass-fed, raised by regular ranchers that appear in those happy-go-lucky commercials, you know, that's a cow-calf operation. The idea with the USDA system in place and the strict laws that we have for meat processing in this country, that meat is somehow, like, secret or shameful or or dirty or unclean or untrustworthy is ridiculous. Um, even this claim from this crowd cow email that 97% beef in the grocery store comes from concentrated feedlots, and we don't work with those guys, but we whittle down our offerings to the best craft producers. Well, newsflash, there's still only a certain number of processing plants in America, so that sweet little animal and that sweet little farm is still being shipped somewhere to process. They don't talk about that part. And that part is perfectly fine. That's the point. What I think is just bullshit is there's so much that this industry has to contend with. Like, we have to deal with vegans. We have to deal with humane society stuff. We have (laughs) to deal with false information. For the industry to cannibalize itself for someone else to get ahead is where I really draw the line. Because for, they, for them to suggest that somehow some other meat, particularly beef in most cases, is somehow unsafe or, or dirty or hidden or whatever it is, it, it's, it's just it's ridiculous to me. The more you know, right? There also seems to be kind of a push for this whole grass-fed from start to finish. And from a personal taste perspective... Uh, I don't mind, as you said, it, it all kind of starts on the grass, but I'm always more of a grain finish guy myself, and that's what my palate prefers. I don't know what the big push yeah, on grain or you know grass all the way around is. So we grow. We I, I ate a lot of grass fed in Australia because we just had more access to it, and and, and we had access to better quality grass fed in Australia as well, just because of the nature of how much pasture we have there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I now prefer grain fed, and there really is it really is just a personal preference thing. Um, in terms of the health benefits, what one has in oleic acids, the other one has in something else. You know what I mean? So they kind of even out in the wash in terms of the health benefits for you. Um, and lean or not lean, well, you make that choice in the grade that you buy. You know, that, that doesn't matter how, what it was finished on to get that way. Um, I do prefer grain-fed. I think it's a little mellower, a little smoother. You can eat more of it, you know, especially if you like big steaks like we do, uh, without it being a little too gamey or, or too nearly rich, I suppose you would say. Um, but there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that being the case. What irritates me more is when people go to buy grass-fed products. So, so what I will say is this. There's a big disconnect in the industry w- with the word quality. Because when you're talking about quality, are you talking about quality of life, in terms of that animal always being on pasture, even though, you know, in a feedlot, they're not having a poor quality of life because they're still a herd animal, so they naturally stick together, 
like when you know drive past a paddock and they're all like under one tree or yep. all in one corner together. Yep. So it's that kind of it's that kind of thing. But more so when you talk about quality, you're talking about that or are you talking about steak quality? Because nine times out of ten, grain fed steak is gonna be a higher quality in terms of eatability, palatability, uh, marbling and and flavorfulness, tenderness than anything grass fed just by virtue of how much how much fat um, goes into that steak at the end of it. So that, that's the one that really grinds my gears when they say that this is better quality. It's because it's not a better, better quality in terms of eating experience in most cases. Jess Pryles joining me here on the show. Uh, Jess, let me ask you about this as well because it's kind of a recent comment, but uh, I had Pat LaFrieda on the show last week, and he had made a comment, uh, and I'm not asking you this because you're from Australia because what I'm about to say has to do with New Zealand, which is not Australia. But he had mentioned that <laughs> New Zealand lamb is like the worst lamb on the market. Do you have any thought on that? Uh, listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Pat Lafrida. He's one of the most incredible, influential, knowledgeable people in the meat industry. And I've never heard that he said that before. And I'm kind of floored to hear it. <laughs> Um, I have it on tape. <laughs> yeah, I'm floored. I'm floored. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Like New Zealand Australian lamb tastes better than any American lamb I've ever had. I'm sorry. American lamb tastes like beef. It's really mild, and they don't want it to taste lamby. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's what Mister Lafrida is looking for with his palate. Mm-hmm. He, that he's looking for something that's more kind of beef oriented and less gamey. But uh, I'm. I'm. I don't even know what to say to that because I don't know any anyone from a quality perspective that would agree other than perhaps, again, it's the flavor profile that he's going after. The last number of weeks, uh, potentially months, well, I guess it's been a month or so, uh, we've talked at length at times about hot dogs here on the show. Where do you fall on mm. hot dogs? Do you like hot dogs? Uh, would you ever eat a boiled hot dog? I've been told that I am going to be attending the 10th circle of hell because from time to time i will enjoy a well-placed boiled hot dog what do you fall on the great hot dog debate why does that put you in the 10th circle of hell you take it up with uh barbecue hall of famer stephen reichland who reared back oh with crucifix fingers and said that anybody that eats boiled hot dogs is uh, has a, a special place in the 10th circle of hell so, wow. you know, yeah, I mean, we all like to wow. show our snobbery from time to time, but, uh, you know, I just wondered where you <laughs> fell out on it. I know, surprisingly, this is this is one thing that I don't have a snobbish opinion on. <laughs> but, um, I yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm fine with hot dogs. Like, I know what's in them. It's nothing weird. Um, I'm good with them. I think it's, I don't usually eat them, but I think it's sort of a fun thing, especially synonymous with a ballpark or mm-hmm. a fair or something like that. Do you have a, a favorite way to prepare if you get down on a hot dog? No, it, it like Hebrew national soft mm. bun, mm. mustard, relish, onions. Call it a day. Uh, boiled. I mean, you know, I would. Yeah. I just would. I'm. I, I don't have a problem with it. I like that the whole slot dog thing. I like when it's got a crisp snap to it. That yep. oh, I'm just doesn't bother me. Is melty the worst word anywhere right now? Melty. Melty yes. like what cheese? Yeah, M-E-L-T-Y. First of all, I don't even think that's a word, but somehow it's made it in the American lexicon. I think it's the worst uh-huh. word currently available today, melty. A lot of people think moist uh-huh. is the worst word, and there's some other words that I'm not going to say here. 
But I think melty. You know what the, do you want to know what the real worst word is? I mean, I know what the real worst word is, and my wife and I are trying to do our damnedest to making it very much affordable in the vocabulary, but we always get dirty looks when we say it. But you probably have a different word uh, that you're thinking of. Yeah, this is like not <laughs> technically a dirty word, but it's completely a dirty word. All right. Are you ready? It's worse than moist, too. It's engorged. <laughs> it only ever means one thing. Yes, big. Over big. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so where do you fall out on the melty debate? Uh, I don't know. It's like garlicky. I don't really like that word either, but I get that people need to use it. Yeah, but melty. Even I have but what? It. But what's melty? Like, what is it? I, I, you say that with melody, I'm envisioning someone describing like one of those obscene, you know, eight patty burgers where yeah. it's like, oh, it's gooey, melty, deliciousy cheese. Uh, see, yeah. what I'm talking about is somebody's made up a tense somewhere. Melty. Why not melting? I mean, that's what it's doing, right? It's melting. It's actively kind of liquidy. It's not full on cold cheese. It's now melting. So it's dripping and drooping. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. somehow have made that into melty. I get it's like a buzzword or it's, it's a lot cooler to say melty cheese than <laughs> melting cheese. Or once it gets a little bit more congealed, then it's melted. It's not melting anymore. Why can't we just use the tenses that we've all used in English class here and stop messing around with melty? Sam, the cooking guy, completely anti my view. He says melty is like one of the best words, but I don't know. I just needed to get your opinion. It's, in, it's kind of in the hot dog department for me. It doesn't really bother me. I don't really have a firm opinion on it, but I'm definitely all for grammatical correctness where appropriate, although we're fighting a losing battle in these in these times. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Jess Pryle is joining me here on the show. Jess, can I hold you over for uh, another segment? We continue to talk about nonsense. You bet. All right, stand by. We're mm-hmm. talking with Jess Pryles from HardcoreCarnivore.com, JessPryles.com, also on the Instagram and Tweeters at Jess Pryles. John Dawson says, Melty, John. Guess what? You're wrong. We're still best buds, though, for life. I'm going to talk to you quickly about Cook Shack, and then we'll get back with Jess. Cook Shack manufacturers smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, on the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility. Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job, and with a full line of sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, Smoke and Grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. Yeah. Check out their website at cookshack.com or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+. Get advice and share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. They still have one of them. Cook Shack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion, Ed Fast Eddie Morin. The FEC 100, PG-1000, always customer favorites. The PG-1000 can actually double as a smoker and a grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Cook Shack Residential Electric Smokers are the number one smoker in the industry, so if you're not down with the pellet cookers, get one of the Cook Shack Electric Smokers. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make it a Cook Shack. Passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing, with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Ponca City, Oklahoma. Call 1-800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698. Or visit cookshack.com. That's cookshack.com. Jess Pryles coming up out of the break. Stick around. Be right back.
continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. And we are rejoined by the hardcore carnivore herself, Jess Pryles. Jess, thanks for hanging with me through the break there. You bet. Right, so let's go way off topic. Because I find this to be an absolutely fascinating, recurring situation, at least here in the Buckeye State of Ohio. That's this restaurant, Chipotle. You ever heard of it? (laughs) I've heard of it. In In Ohio, there have been numerous locations that have been shut down on various health code reasons, not holding right temperatures, something's contaminated in the lettuce, blah, blah, blah. People getting sick. Stores closed down for days on end. The story opens a few days after that, and that location continues to flourish. And I will maintain that if it were Rempe's Frijoles, I would never be able to shake one, let alone two, food poisoning cases. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this chain back in the day. Chi-Chi's was absolutely ruined over a case of bad lettuce. The whole situation nationally went down the drain. But Chipotle can just roll right through it without any issue. Do you have any idea why they can continue to maintain such a high level after case after case after case of some type of food poisoning or health code violation? I mean, the only thing I can hypothesize here, and and again, this is just, uh, I don't want to go on any kind of legal record here, Greg, but um, I think it's just because they found a way to make Tex-Mex, which is a university belo- universally beloved cuisine, like for people to think that they're getting a healthy version of it. And that's so exciting for people to find an excuse to eat Tex-Mex guilt-free wow. that they're just willing to go back. That's my, that's my theory. Personal safety thrown right out the window. Let's wait in that half an hour yeah. line and hope we don't get sick this time or again. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that uh, steam trade's up to par. <laughs> uh, actor and comedian Ike Barinholtz tweeted a number of weeks ago, and I quote, Barbecue restaurant. This is what they're saying to the customer. Here is your platter of hand-trimmed, slowly smoked meat with a sauce that took us 24 hours to make based off a secret family recipe. And it's served with some untoasted slices of crappy bread for that we got at the 99 cent store. Do you think he pretty much hit it right on the head with that whole Texas barbecue platter deal? Yeah, 100%. I just had this conversation with someone the other day, actually, about <laughs> the, the concept of it especially doesn't make sense as, as more like younger kind of blood gets into the barbecue um, world and, and tries to elevate, you know, the meat that they're using. Someone like Aaron Franklin is using Creekstone. Um, I don't think he's using all natural, but, you know, it's a really it's a really good quality product um, rather than just getting the cheap select briskets and, and turning them over, which is kind of the concept of barbecue to begin with. So when you look at Texas barbecue in its infancy or in, in, in its history, rather, you're taking a cheap cut that was probably definitely not Wagyu, probably not marble, trying to make it into something edible, throw in some white bread that you had with it, throw in some crackers, and away you go. So if we're elevating everything else around it, including the meat we use, the way we smoke it, like getting getting crazy about the method that we're doing it, 
why wouldn't it make sense to change those sides? I know places like Leroy and Lewis now are trying to serving the Mar- Martin's potato bread, mm. which is, you know, that's, that's the only stuff that I'll eat a burger on, um, those buns. But especially given the German heritage, like I've always said, I, I, I think it should be served with rye bread. Um, I think that would be incredible, like a like a really hearty sourdough rye that a could stand up to you know soaking up all that grease, um, but stand up to the flavor too. Like the caraway and the rye could really stand up to the smokiness and and the fattiness of the brisket. But that's what I nerd out about. You know, I, I genuinely love to eat, genuinely love flavor. So I think about those sort of things. So you might be. A little surprised to hear that when the barbecue snob was up here a couple weeks ago and we took in some Mabel's Barbecue downtown East 4th Street, that that platter did come with three pieces of hearty rye bread, believe it or not. Sounds, sounds great. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, Michael Simon has always been a little more off of that Texas schneid when it comes to the side offerings. I mean, he does the pickles, but you know, it's uh, pickled onions, not just the normal onions. He doesn't do jalapenos. And then he always does some type of uh, I guess what would be a higher level white bread or he's transitioned over into the rye bread, which I think is, I mean, I don't even eat the bread. I mean, I go for the meat. I don't even really give a crap about the sides. So if you're a really great barbecue restaurant and you make really great barbecue sides, I guess I really don't care about that. As long as the brisket and the pork and the ribs and the sausage are good and the chicken or the turkey, depending on what you make, that's, only, that's really what I want. It's only good crappy bread i mean think about it if you go to a really good italian right or whatever really good any restaurant and they start with a bread course that's like fresh house-baked bread with beautiful like you know fermented churned butter uh not fermented but you know there won't be a piece left on the table yeah really good bread that might be my death row meal like really good (laughs) bread and butter i know that that doesn't have any meat in it but it's the truth and so i think it's just we forget it because the offerings have been so terrible, but if you if you raised the quality of the sides, if you raised the quality of that bread that came with it, it should be, you know, it should be good enough that you're like, oh god, this brisket is so good, but my god, that bread is so good, and you know, instead of sending the the tray back with a few empty bones and all the bread intact, maybe you eat a little more. When we got together this past March at MBBQA, we did a fairly in depth interview on dry aging and where that trend is at that point. I mean, fast forward now almost seven months and in, in here or uh, nine, six, six months. And then, uh, you know, we're in the beginning of September here. Are you still seeing that active interest and the dry aging niche growing? Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, and, and I, you would probably see it just as much as I have just sure. in terms of what people like to chat about and, and what they're interested in. Um, it's just getting more and more popular, maybe not so much, People are maybe people are learning a bit more. There's not something that you can easily do at home, um, so I'm not seeing as many kind of questions about like, oh, can I throw this in my fridge for two days or what have you. But certainly on restaurant menus, just generally people talking about it. Um, I think it's only going to increase in popularity, but there's there's going to be a terminal velocity to it because it's just you know a very indulgent, expensive way to do things. From an eating out perspective or from a end user consumer's perspective, do you ever get concerned that what you're ordering off a menu or off a website, if you're not there to see it in person, is what you're ordering for real? 
In what way? Like a uh, 48-day dry-aged steak, but is it really that? Because I can't really see it. I'm, i got to trust what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole thing with aging. It's nebulous. Like, first of all, most cases when they say that it's dry-aged beef, it's probably only dry-aged for 28 days, which you're probably not going to be able to taste. It mm-hmm. may help texture a little bit, but that's not really anything. So you're already paying more for it without it having that true kind of nutty, interesting, funky quality of... of um, excessively or, or longer dried, uh, dried beef. But, uh, I've also had, you know, I've had some stuff from like purely meat in Chicago and their dry aging at 28 days tastes like my dry aging at 48 days. So, um, I don't, I don't think it's, I, I I'm pretty good at calling BS on, on menus. It's usually not dry aging. That's the problem. <laughs> A few years ago, there was, you know, what I thought was kind of an incredible demand, and it, it did had a pretty good run for competition barbecue class. I mean, they still go on to this day, of course, but I've seen at least a more visible interest in something that is geared more to the backyard cook. For instance, uh, my buddy Ted Reeder is going to be coming out to Hartville in a couple of weeks, going to be doing some grilling demos for their event there. So geared more to people like me, backyard cooks, people you just want to take that backyard menu to the next level and, and want to be a little bit more efficient and a little bit more accurate. As somebody who does classes that are kind of geared towards that niche, do you see also a, a growing increase for the backyarder? Yeah, definitely. My classes are really strange too. Um, I don't do like brisket and ribs and traditional stuff because there's so many great people out there that can teach you how to do that. Um, the other thing is, if, if you're doing a class and that's what we're doing, then it was cooked the night before, probably not by me, probably by whoever's working at that grilling store that I'm that I'm appearing at. So all my classes are what I call real-time. So everything we make has to be made in the span of three to four hours. Mm. So we'll do something like a smoke tri-tip, smoke meatballs, some live fire grilling, some, some uh, two-zone cooking and... And it's basically so, you know, we can talk about what goes right, what goes wrong. There's there's no smoke and mirrors, pardon the pun. You're seeing everything there. It's not like, oh, this is how you trim a brisket, and now here's what I prepared earlier. Because um, really the tricky part is in really how to run the smoker and what have you, not just as simple as, as taking it out of Cambro and showing you what it's like. So if you come and we cook the whole way through together, you'll learn more that way. And having said all that, yes, it's, Definitely, given that it's not an advertised brisket class or, or, or traditional barbecue class, mm-hmm. I get a lot of different cooks um, at my classes, and I certainly hope to encourage more backyard people to them. I think that, there, you know, I get when comp guys do their tell-all classes, and certainly if you're going to divulge all the secrets to what, it, what you're doing to win, um, you should be paid commensurately. But, uh, yeah, I... I like it better that way. I like it better offering something different to the herd. Do you think that's a cash grab for some of those guys? Do you really think that they're, uh, A, offering a fairly exorbitant sum? I mean, certainly there is some expense into putting that class on, but do you think they're holding something back? I mean, being a competitive guy myself, I would just have trouble being able, especially if I was riding the wave of success. I mean, I would just want to win at any and all costs. I wouldn't want to then hold classes and say, here's what I'm doing, and you know, some of you are actually going to be able to copy this and, and perhaps turn around and beat me in a week or two. Uh, that seems to be a little counterproductive to me. Do you, are you at all uh, down on that? 
Yeah, it's funny because I've spoken to friends that have thought about doing their own classes and this. And at the end of the day, you know, you still you still have to execute it. So I can I can hold your hand through the whole thing and show you how to do this kind of cook. But there are little nuances, whether it's me grilling in my backyard or cooking backyard or someone else cooking calm, that just come with experience and and the nuances of knowing your smoker, understanding how the weather works for and against you, and understanding the judge's flavor profile. But the other big thing is that competition barbecue works in waves. So with the exception of maybe one or two people who have stood the test of time in terms of um, uh, staying, staying on top for a very, very long time, it's, it, the winning teams usually only stay winning for, for sort of waves of two to four years, and then they decline. And, and, and so it's like they hit the flavor profile of what the judges are going for at that time. They maybe even own that space, um, lead it, and then it naturally kind of moves on to something else and someone else hits on something the judges like, and that's what everyone moves towards. So it's not a stupid idea, especially in terms of maximizing while you can, you know, uh, to, to do that. And, and at the end of the day, like I said, you, you still got to execute. So telling someone your seasoning, telling someone your sauce, you know, that's why, that's why people like me, that's why Hardcore Carnivore, we, we sponsor teams that, that say, Hey, we use this product, mm. but still got to know how to cook it like we do. You still got to know all these variables. Um, so, and, and it's still not a guaranteed thing. You can still show up to the rodeo and, and not come home with a buckle that day. Jess Pryles joining me here on the show. Just last question before I let you go tonight and appreciate the time. A couple weeks ago, I saw you do, I guess, what would be a traditional barbacoa cook. Can you take me through that? Because that looked kind of interesting, especially with that head. Yeah, yeah it was pretty amazing. We went out to a... <laughs> a ranch, Joe Risky's ranch, just uh, west of Fort Worth. And we tried to do this about a year ago, and we sort of had a failure because we, we followed some instructions that, that weren't the best, and um, we're determined to get it right. And Juan Rodriguez, who's a very accomplished chef out of Fort Worth, whose family's been cooking barbacoa for the longest time. Barbacoa traditionally is made when you bury the entire head of, of a, a, a cow or a steer mm. in a pit in the ground um and the funny thing is everyone says oh wow you know it's it's incredible is it worth it well i mean it's never worth it for a restaurant because of the bone weight but it's it's one of the best uses if you're for example doing home kills or or slaughtering your own animals to to make sure you're getting the most meat Mm. out of the head Mm -hmm. so we built this ground dug this dug this pit put stones in to kind of retain the heat built a fire for four hours Juan um, was kind of leading everything because we'd, you know, not done this before and we're relying on him and he stuffed the head with, with garlic and bay leaves and then wrapped maguey leaves around it wow. and then foil and we dropped it in the pit and, you know, it's funny, it went, it went in at about went in about 8 p.m. and it stayed in until 6 a.m. the next morning. I mean, we had a roaring fire. You didn't want to get near that thing. We sealed it in. We did everything we should have and still... Um, it was actually slightly underdone. I haven't yet got around. I'm, I'm slowly drip feeding photos from that cook and I haven't yet got around to that part. Um, and that's one of those things, you know, one with all of his experience, he couldn't really say why it wasn't, wasn't done. It was a slightly bigger head than what he was used to cooking, but we made it work. Like we, it was still, we cut the meat out instead of it sort of just falling out. And then we put it in a skillet over a, um, at like a chuck wagon fire 
made tacos. He made fresh tortillas um, with masa like his grandma used to make. And I cut up the tongue because it was still really tough and, and opened it up, cut it up, and just grilled those pieces. And, and so they sort of became tender and had this great char to them. And we made it work, and it was incredible. It was kind of incredible to, to do that really rustic live fire cooking and that's why i love that's why i love all things meat you know whether it be burying your head in the ground or using your smoker or using live fire or charring peppers you know or cooking tomahawks cooking tablitas but just getting to cook it in the best method to cook that meat is really really cool do you have any upcoming appearances Oh, my gosh. So I'm off to Australia in two weeks to cook at Parliament House, which is pretty rad, um, which is like our capital, the Australian capital building. Um, but I will be at Texas Monthly Barbecue with Lone Star Beer doing book signing in mm-hmm. November. There's there's a whole, um, there's actually a whole appearances page on my website. If if people want to play along, I'm going to be in Tulsa at Hasty Bake doing a class soon. Nice. Um, yeah, there's... there's there's some fun stuff coming up, and I'll always keep adding to it. Check that out at JessPriles.com. Uh, Jess, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. You bet. Thank you so much. You got it. There she is, Jess Priles, the hardcore carnivore. Ooh. That's right. Yeah, baby. All guests appear Great via conversation the Trader Grills hotline. Yeah, we went a little off the board Got a lot of email coming in going, you have Jess Pryles on. What are you doing talking about uh, Chipotle? I mean, do you want to hear my rant on it? Or do you want to hear my impromptu rant and then get somebody else's opinion on it? I mean, I'm still flabbergasted that that place remains open and flourishes. Flourishes. 30 people got sick on some food poisoning. Poppycock. Close it down for a couple days. We'll reopen to longer lines because people haven't had their Chipotle or they didn't want to go eight blocks down the road to get the next nearest Chipotle. By the way, if you notice right here that I'm glistening a little bit, uh, yeah, because I'm sweating. It's 90 degrees in Cleveland right now. It's 109% humidity. As a matter of fact, I don't know if this happens anywhere else. This has never happened in my lifetime. It has had to have been hotter at various points as school has been in session than it is right now. And I can tell you 100% that we are going into the second day here in the greater Cleveland area. Where school has been canceled because it's too hot. I just got a phone call before I went on the air saying, Wycliffe Public Schools canceled because it's too hot, everybody. I mean, it is the summer, right? In my day, we went to school at 900 degrees. And we walked both ways uphill. Yeah. 980 degrees. We talked to you quickly about the Barbecue Guru, the longest-running sponsor of the show. We always believed outdoor cooking should be easy because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill, the Monolith, the world's first temperature-controlled smoker, with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control, greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature. 
Let the monolith do the work of a sous chef or barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill, and you can serve the tastiest, juicy meals each and every time. Here's what you do. Head on over to bbqguru.com. That's bbqguru.com. And check out all their products. If you have any questions, you call them, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. Mm-hmm. They'll make sure they answer all your questions. You can get exactly what you need, and you're off and running. Actually looking to round up Bob Trudnack and potentially a Big Mo Quezon and or a Tuffy Stone to talk about barbecue in the Netherlands. They had a whirlwind trip recently that I'm trying to get them under account. Working out the logistics on that. I will be wrapping up the second hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you've found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. Yeah, getting it in. What? Never heard of that. School closed because it's too hot? Yeah. Due to the inclement weather and heat index, it's too hot for school. No learning will take place tomorrow or today. Because it's closed. Because it's hot. It's funny. Peterbilt didn't have any problem making me work today. John, I didn't get those lights yet, but... Today would not make a difference. It's just a hot day. I get it. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up all the way back in the first hour. We talked with Hall of Famer Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue, drbbq.com, shooting for a hard open of October 3rd, 2018, Dr. Barbecue Restaurant, Florida. Then we talked with Ted Reader, tedreader.com, his website, playing around with balls. Going to be at the Grill Fest in Hartville, Ohio, September 15th, and we'll be doing live demos, 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. I am going to try to hook up with him on the 14th, Hell or High Water. Top of the second hour, Joey Machado, bnbcharcoalproducts.com, stopped by, announced their exclusive partnership with the SCA and the IBCA. Big news there. They're going to be at the Fort Worth World Championship State Cook-Off Association's event, also World Food Championships. And we close it out with two segments worth of Jess Priles, JessPriles.com, both on the Twitter and the Instagram, at Jess Priles. We talked about the rubs, the new rub uh, Amplify. Actually, we totally blew off the new rub. Jess, what did I do? Why did you horn me back in? We talked about butcher box and hot dogs and the word melty, and we talked about chipotle. What's going on with white bread on great barbecue platters? Dry aging, barbecuing cow heads in the ground, and cooking classes, and more. If you're just tuning in and you missed that segment, get it on the podcast. Follow me on social media at BBQ Central Show, Instagram, and the Twitter. Big show planned for you next Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is your program host, a proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.